When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Conspiracy Unlimited is supported by Paranormal Contractors for things that go bump in the night. On this episode, part two of a two-part conversation with the director of the Vatican Deception, a prophecy of hope, and the epic battle to conceal it. Has Satan been set loose in the church? Will the prophecies of St. Malachi be realized? You know, something obviously is wrong in Rome, but if you look at Malachi's prophecies, whether this is going to be the end of the papacy that we're seeing today, it does seem like everything's lining up. We, we do appear to be seeing the fulfillment of uh, prophecy, and, and if that's the case, things are going to continue to get worse, and I think people have no idea how bad it's going to get. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Documentary filmmaker Paul Stark is standing by to discuss the third secret of Fatima, the prophecies of St. Malachi, the corruption inside the church, and more. Before that, I want to acknowledge a listener who was kind enough to send me an email describing how, where, and when she listens to Conspiracy Unlimited. Carol Wisner writes, Hi Richard, love your shows. Sounds like you're having a wonderful time there in Greece. Yes, indeed, Carol, I am. Thank you. Uh, one of your other podcasts, and also when you guest host on Coast to Coast AM, you talk about listeners in their RV campers or cabins in the woods. And uh, we always laugh when you say that because that's us. This time of year anyway, in winter, it'll be out on the desert somewhere, but we're in a motorhome in the woods, but not in an RV park. We like being really out in the woods. 
So we camp in the National Forest north of Flagstaff, Arizona at about 7,700 feet above sea level. Quiet and beautiful and nobody here but us and the elk and the trees. But enough cell phone signal that I can download your shows. Best wishes, Carol Wisner, Sister in Christ, and full-time RV camper. Well, thanks for that, Carol, and happy camping. Of course, I'd love to hear from you. How do you listen, where do you listen, and when do you listen to Conspiracy Unlimited? Just shoot me an email, richardserrett1 at gmail.com. richardserrett, the number one, at gmail.com. Paul Stark is the director of The Vatican Deception, an explosive documentary nearly a decade in the making. Paul Stark, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited for part two of our conversation on your documentary, The Vatican Deception. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm great. Uh, thank you, Richard. And thanks again for having me on your show. My pleasure. All right. Give us the details once again for the worldwide online release of The Vatican Deception coming this October. Yes, yeah, so uh, our film, uh, The Vatican Deception, uh, will be released online on October 13 of this uh, year. So uh, that's uh, the 101-year anniversary of the miracle of the sun in Fatima. So the date uh, that we chose uh, has some meaning behind it, and it's uh, going to be just a few days away from the November 11 uh, uh, anniversary. It'll be the centennial anniversary of the armistice of World War One as well. Uh, which I think is significant because there's there's so much uh, relevance to the wars and uh, this film and the prophecy that uh, I think that it's very timely to have it released at that time as well. And so, so uh, how, how do people how do people see it? Where do they go? How do they um, how do they log in? What do they do? Yeah, so just uh, go to thevaticandeception.com and you'll see uh, all of the details about it. There'll be a button there uh, that you can click to pre-order uh, your, your viewing of the film. And uh, what will happen, uh, you'll just need to provide uh, your name and your, your email address and uh, then you'll uh, create a password. Uh, that's what you're going to use to access the film once it becomes available on October 13. Yeah, you really and ought to get out and, and uh, or you don't have to get out. You just, you, re, you just have to watch this thing right in your own living room. Uh, I was fortunate again to to uh, present at the uh, the Toronto uh, premiere uh, of uh, the Vatican Deception, and as I said then, I'll say it again, uh, and I've seen it twice now. Uh, this is this is more political thriller meets spiritual warfare than it is just a sort of a you know a run-of-the-mill documentary it's absolutely stunning beautifully shot uh, tremendous interviews I can't speak highly enough about the Vatican deception how, how long in the making was this you spent a long time nearly 10 years on this film yeah I, uh, I actually started filming back in 2010 uh, I uh, went to Fatima during a visit uh, when uh, Pope Benedict XVI was visiting Fatima at the time, and that's when I started uh, recording some footage of the film. Uh, so 2010, that was eight years ago, uh, I started to research it. It took me over four years to research it. Uh, I did a tremendous amount of uh, reading and researching, and uh, it took uh, an additional four years uh, just to get, or at least an additional two years uh, to get the film completed. Uh, we ran into a number of obstacles along the way. I think I could have gotten this done much quicker, uh, but uh, these are the realities of production. Right. Now, previously we were talking about the, th 
the three secrets of Fatima, the third secret not fully revealed, the Vatican says it has, uh, the, the, the documentary argues that it is not. Uh, we were talking about the, the, the timing of the release of the third secret according to the wishes of Sister Lucia Santos, who was one of the, the three children of Fatima. Uh, and this was to be released in 1960 on the eve of Vatican II. Uh, perhaps there's a connection there. Uh, the portion of the third secret that was released seemed to show the, the assassination of a pope. Some, some have suggested that that was the attempt on Pope John Paul II's life uh, by a Bulgarian um, assassin who was hired by the KGB. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, there's a number of things that don't make sense about all of that. Uh, I mean, it, it certainly seems to line up in a sense, uh, particularly because the assassination attempt took place on May the 13th, which is the anniversary date of Fatima. May 13th is, is, is widely known as the feast day of Fatima because that was the day that the Blessed Virgin first began appearing to the three little children in 1917. So when the the Pope was shot on May 13, 1981, uh, obviously there there appeared to be a connection to all of that. And uh, the Pope himself, he said he believed that uh, he didn't die because he he believed that uh, the hand of uh, the Blessed Virgin uh, steered that bullet away from uh, any of his major organs. So, um, and incidentally, that bullet now is in the crown of uh, the statue of the Blessed Virgin in Fatima. It, they set it into the crown. Oh, fascinating. But so, it, yeah, it is. It's, it is very fascinating. Um, now, but so, uh, the Vatican su- is suggesting that that assassination attempt was the fulfillment of that vision that we spoke about in our last episode where uh, we had the bishop in white climbing a mountain of ruins and uh, who was shot dead by bullets and arrows. So that's the vision. And then flash forward to 1981, you have a pope who is shot. So uh, if you go to the Vatican uh, archives, you'll find there's a document there, that uh, the, the message of Fatima, that uh, suggests that that assassination attempt was the fulfillment of the prophecy and that uh, that's it. There's nothing more to worry about. But there's a number of things that don't line up. And uh, one of the things, first of all, is that in the prophecy, um, the Pope or the Bishop in white is is shot dead. He's killed. And not only he's killed, but also his cardinals and uh, uh, bishops and lay people. Uh, There is this idea of martyrdom, these angels that are collecting the blood of martyrs. You know, it looks to me, if you look at the vision, something very catastrophic is happening. Uh, Not to diminish the significance of uh, a pope being shot. I mean, that's uh, obviously a a significant and terrible thing. But it doesn't seem to line up with the vision, which seems to speak about something globally catastrophic, or at least, uh, you know, something that destroys a city. So that doesn't line up. The other thing that doesn't line up is if you look at the dates, so uh, we spoke in the previous episode about the uh, the date 1960 and the significance of that. 
and the, how on the envelope it was mentioned that the uh, the envelope the third secret needed to be published in 1960 so if that's the case well what does that have to do with 1981 and if the secret was referring to 1981 and it really was completely fulfilled by uh, that uh, one uh, date uh, in May when the Pope was shot then why did it take so long for the Vatican to finally publish the third secret why, why did they wait until the year 2000 to publish that vision that uh, cryptic vision about a bishop in white why didn't they mention it like you know within a year or two after the shooting 1982 or 1983 they, they waited almost 20 years to publish it so it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and uh, there's a lot of other evidence that we can talk about uh, that that also seems to suggest that uh, if that vision is really authentic if it really is a part of the third secret of Fatima it's not the full uh, the full thing there seem to be evidence that is pointing to another text Right. Now, I, uh, we can revisit that, um, time permitting, but I do want to I want to talk about some of the other characters featured in the documentary, and one of them, the interviews with the late Father Malachi Martin, who, of course, uh, listeners of uh, A Coast to Coast AM, which I'm, uh, I guess, host from time to time, are well f- uh, versed in, in Father Malachi Martin. He was uh, a staple. Uh, a guest, a frequent guest with Art Bell in the early days of Coast to Coast, and those episodes are some of the the all-time classic Coast to Coast episodes. Yeah. So, F- Father Malachi Martin, who was a Jesuit, uh, who I believe who, le- who left the Jesuit order, you had mentioned to me, because he was concerned about what was going on in that order. Uh, but did Father Malachi Martin saw the Third Secret is in its entirety? Did he not? That's right. He says that he read the Third Secret, and uh, it was his cardinal, uh, Cardinal Bea, who was invited to read the Third Secret in, uh, I believe it was in 1960, and uh, this is what gave uh, Father Malachi access to it through that connection. And and what does he, what was he able to reveal about the contents of the Third Secret? Uh, he. Um, so he wasn't allowed to speak about it in its uh, details. He was under oath not to reveal its details. Uh, but that didn't stop him from dropping some hints about it. And, you know, uh, if you go back to the Coast to Coast interviews as an example, uh, you'll find that some of the most poignant things that he says about the Third Secret uh, are that uh, it entails two things, he says. Number one, uh, that... Um, that in, it, it involves uh, something to do with uh, with uh, a, a, a catastrophic uh, a catastrophic loss of faith in the church, and the other thing that he says that it entails uh, is uh, is intense suffering, global suffering. So those are the, those are two of the key things that he speaks about. Uh, with regards to this prophecy. So he really gives us a, an understanding of how important it is for us to pay attention to it. The other character that we are introduced to in the documentary is uh, the late father, Nicholas Gruner, who um, passed away, I guess, was it a, a short time after filming or during filming? Uh, pretty, I would say more after filming. Right. So once we had uh, accumulated uh, basically all of the 
uh, footage that we, we we were looking for. Uh, he passed away. Was in uh, I think I believe it was 2014 or 15. I, I don't remember the year now. So it should be not long ago. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's talk about uh, Father Nicholas Gruner because he is he is obviously central to this uh, film. He is he was the uh, the director of the Fatima Center in I believe it's is it Fort Erie, Ontario. That's right. And um, he had made it his 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 life's mission really to to get the Vatican to reveal the third secret in its entirety. Uh, I mean, he published a newsletter. I mean, he was tireless. Uh, and 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 I believe the f- the documentary opens with um, Father Nicholas Gruner returning to. Um, well, you you tell me, tell us tell us how the film opens with Father Nicholas Gruner. So uh, yeah, we 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 begin uh, with some images. Uh, I was there uh, with Father Gruner in uh, in Rome uh, in, in May of 2011. And uh, we were at a papal audience with Benedict XVI, and uh, Father uh, Gruner, uh, usually he comes with his entourage and uh, a statue of the Blessed Virgin. And uh, oftentimes uh, people with uh, blessed statues uh, will take them up to the front of St. Peter's Square, uh, just behind where the Pope is when he's addressing uh, the, the public in the square and uh, normally what happens is uh, the Pope will come around and uh, if there are statues there uh, he'll bless them and so that was the case here uh, Father Gruner was standing with his statue and uh, so after uh, the Pope was done with his address to the public he got into his Pope mobile uh, and I was up there I was recording all of this with uh, with my camera and uh, Pope Benedict came around and he blessed the statue uh, that Father Gruner was next to. And uh, during this time, there were photographers in the square, and they were taking photos of, uh, they, this is what they do, they take photos of everything. 
And then these photos are made available uh, at uh, the photographer's studio. So people who were in the square that uh, wanted copies of photos, they could go there and, and, and get their own copies. But uh, what we found was uh, when we uh, ordered photos, we were looking for the photos of this this moment when Pope Benedict was blessing the statue with Father Gruner. And uh, what we found was that these photos had been doctored. Uh, what happened was they uh, removed, they kept the statue in there, but they removed the image of Father Gruner. They airbrushed him out. They airbrushed him out. And so that's the opening scene of uh, the documentary. We, we begin by showing this, and then we get into more detail about what happened and, and what we discovered later on in the documentary. But uh, it sort of, it gives you a hint right off the bat that there's uh, an obvious effort to, uh, to silence Father Gruner. Uh, this, you could say, like, was a bit of a smoking gun for us because... Um, it really showed uh, verifiable evidence that uh, he had been airbrushed out of a photo. What the reason behind that was, I don't know. It's so I, petty. I it just seems so petty, doesn't it? It does. It's baffling why they would go to those lengths. They had cool. to pay somebody to go through these photos and, and to airbrush somebody out. It, it took somebody some time to do it, and so it, they had to pay somebody. But for you to be there when this is happening, and then you took these photos to uh, uh, an expert's analyst uh, who, who showed the evidence that, that he had been in fact airbrushed out. What a gift to a documentary filmmaker, my word. Now, yeah. but, but I mean, this is, this is nothing compared to what happened to Father Nicholas Kruner uh, when he went to Fatima some, some years earlier. Uh, tell me about this harrowing tale. Yeah, there, there, I mean, he's been through so much. It's really incredible, and, and this is one of the reasons why I, I feel that this documentary is important. I think people need to know uh, the sort of attacks that were, that were uh, done on him and uh, that they came from uh, among the hierarchy, his own people. Uh, one of the things uh, that we talk about in the documentary, uh, like you say, is uh, his visit to Fatima. So when he started to uh, promote Fatima, uh, in his earliest days, uh, he had more cooperation from the hierarchy back then. And the reason why is because uh, the, the Vatican published a number of documents and information about Fatima, and uh, the Catholic Church uh, sanctioned the prophecies of Fatima. They basically said uh, that it's worthy of belief. So for uh, Father Gruner to create the apostolate and to promote Fatima, uh, was within his rights as a Catholic. There was nothing that uh, in, in the faith that said he couldn't. And so this is what he did. And he published the facts. And one of the things that he wanted to do back in 1992 uh, during uh, his visit to Fatima was he held a conference. And at that conference, uh, he invited a number of many bishops. He invited all the bishops, but he, he invited the bishops to come out and discuss this consecration of Russia. And there were over a hundred bishops that responded and said that they were going to attend this conference in Fatima during, the, uh, during one of their uh, annual celebrations, their annual uh, anniversaries. Um, so what happened was there was a Cardinal Sanchez who issued a declaration uh, saying that Father Gruner's conference was not approved. 
And um, so, first of all, Father uh, said, Father Gruner said that, uh, or he believed that, well, you, you can't stop me from holding a conference that promotes something that is in line with the Catholic Church, and, and it's, uh, it's authorized by the Catholic Church, so I don't need permission for this. But, but this is the sort of thing that he used to say that the Vatican does, is that they'll, they'll claim that you don't have permission, but they, they don't claim that permission is not required. So it's kind of a play on words to try to discourage people from going to this conference. Uh, but so uh, the bishops ended up going to his conference anyway, uh, at the Shrine of Fatima. And what happened on one day was uh, he was actually attacked by a couple of people. Physically they, they beaten, physically beaten. They physically beat him. And there was a witness, and she's in our documentary. She speaks about what she saw. But she saw him from a distance. She saw him getting dragged by his cassock and beaten. And there's even photos of him and the bruises that he had. Um, now, there were some cardinals uh, that, uh, you know, that, um, I mean, without getting into the whole story, this witness ran over. And uh, she confronted these two men, and she let out a scream. And what happened was uh, there were some cardinals in a room nearby that came out to see what was happening. And uh, one of them uh, demanded that they tell him who ordered that, this attack on Father Gruner. And he asked them in Latin, Portuguese. Uh, he la asked in a, a number of different languages, and he, in he, he insisted uh, this man was a law, uh, sorry, uh, he was a doctor of canon law, and he was a cardinal, and he was very intimidating. So eventually these people, they confessed uh, that the person who had requested this beating was the rector of the Shrine of Fatima. So, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable. It is, it's truly unbelievable. Were there ever charges laid? No. No, they went to uh, the police. Uh, I'm trying to remember now the whole story. They did go to the police. No charges were laid. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, uh, the, the people, the the, uh, the proper authorities were not available or something at the time. So they, they uh, and they never went back. Uh, I, I don't remember the whole story, but I do remember that uh, there were no charges laid. And, and, and is it your belief, based on your research, or did Father Nicholas Gruner believe that this order came from, well, how, how high up the command? Yeah, it's a good question, and I, like, I'm careful not to speculate on these things, because uh, uh, I've been very careful not to, uh, not to speculate or to, uh, to create unfair assumptions. Uh, all I know is I, I, can pre I can present the facts. We know that Cardinal Sanchez uh, declared that this was not approved, the, this, uh, this meeting with the bishops. And we know that the order uh, to beat Father, uh, um, it came from the rector of the shrine, and we know that the beating came after the uh, declaration from Father Fa Sanchez. So, um, you know, those are the facts. Uh, we, you know, again, I, I hesitate to speculate, but, um, you know, given all that I've seen and all that I've learned, I think people, uh, people can come up with their, their own conclusions on what they feel is happening. We'll get back to Paul Stark and the Vatican deception in just a few minutes. Hey, it's time for a visit from Christian D. Cadieu, the real John Constantine from Paranormal Contractors, a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Hey, Christian, how are you? 
I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. What does someone look for if they suspect they have unwanted paranormal activity going on in their home? That's a great question, Richard. Well, one thing in particular, if a property owner or an individual living in an environment that suspects they've got an unwanted visitor, a paranormal activity, a presence, especially if they feel that it is negative energy, if they feel that it's evil, it's projecting something that is not good, look for the smell of sulfur. Sulfur is very important because sulfur is one of the gases that emanates from the human body during the decomposition process, during the post-mortem process. Oh my. There's three gases, essentially, that are released from the human body, and those gases are hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, and sulfur. Now, if you smell sulfur just out of nowhere, or perhaps if you pick up the scent of decaying or decomposing garbage or decomposing body, just an absolute disgusting smell where it just comes out of nowhere, then you have a problem. Oh my. Now, of course, you want to make sure that there's not a dead mouse behind a wall somewhere. But uh, again, the smell of sulfur, rotting garbage, that could be a telltale sign you have an unwanted visitor of the paranormal variety in your home. Uh, Christian D. Cadieux, the real John Constantine from Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. Christian, give us an idea of what services you provide. Well, the services that we provide at Paranormal Contractors is that first we investigate, then we authenticate, and then finally we remediate. We remediate and investigate with different types of, and also authenticate as well, with uh, all different types of technology and equipment that we use on an ongoing basis. It's extremely scientific. As far as I'm aware, we're the only ones that are using uh, this type of technology, and we have an amazing success rate uh, as far as permanent remediation and permanent eradication of any type of paranormal presence. Hey, Christian, give us a toll-free number. Our toll-free number is 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800. Christian, great talking to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Christian D. Cadieu, the real John Constantine. Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. For more information, just visit their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors. Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Paul Stark, the director of the Vatican Deception, is here. Who else um, has has seen the the Third Secret? I mean, have is there a Pope that has has seen it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Who? All of the popes uh, since Pope Pius Twelfth, and I, I believe even Pope Pius XI, even if he didn't read it, uh, I'm quite certain he was, well, he would have been, he would have been familiar with its uh, general uh, details, uh, its specific details, I would say, even, because Sister Lucia wrote to him uh, many times. But so Pope Pius XII, uh, which is uh, going back to the 1940s, all the way up into uh, all the way up to the current uh, or, or the former Pope uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, 
all of them have read the third secret of Fatima. Um, whether Francis has read it or not, I don't know. But uh, we know that every pope before him has read it. Given that Pope Benedict XVI is, is quoted as saying that the church is on the verge of collapse, uh, and he is now retired, why wouldn't he reveal the third secret? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, you would think that he could. Uh, I think that he's being very carefully monitored. I don't. I think that if he was ever to, you know, if he was ever to, uh, if there was any suspicion that he was going to make a public statement, I don't think that he would succeed with it. I, I think that he's. Uh, I think he's probably being monitored. Hmm. So, was Father Nicholas Gruner confident he knew what the contents of the third secret was, or were? Yeah, I believe he was, and uh, I, in fact, I think anybody who's done the research is quite confident that they know uh, not the details, obviously. You know, I think one of these days, if it ever gets published, uh, we're going to find, uh, you know, there's some remarkable details in there. But uh, I think we understand the general lines of it. And I believe uh, that the key thing that Father Gruner uh was saying about the third secret of Fatima, uh, if you want to say the the meat of it really was that uh, it spoke about an apostasy in the church. So, um, you know, it's very interesting because at the time that uh, these predictions were, were coming out about an apostasy, uh, you would say that it almost seems like such a thing would have been impossible. And yet here we are today, uh, we're seeing things that uh, appear to be uh, heresy coming from Rome. And again, I say appear because we don't get clarification. And until we, until we do, until, until uh, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, put in the, uh, in the open, uh, like I, I come back to the example, uh, the, uh, the CEO of uh, La Repubblica, who, who said in his conversation with Francis, that Francis said hell doesn't exist. Now we're going on his testimony. It's an allegation. If it's true, that's heresy. Uh, so, you know, we have to be concerned about these things. Uh, but it, it does appear as though um, what we're hearing lately uh, lines up with the idea that that uh, third secret uh, has to do with the apostasy. And what are the prophecies of St. Malachi, who... Um, essentially named all of the popes uh, with uncanny accuracy in terms of, uh, you know, giving them nicknames and so forth. Uh, you know, he, he gave, I believe it was Pope John Paul I, a nickname having to do with the moon, and he was born on a full moon. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on and on. But he also predicted, I believe, that the current pope would be the final pope. Uh, isn't that interesting how that sort of lines up with perhaps the third prophecy? Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely interesting, um, especially because uh, he wrote these prophecies, I think, about three or four hundred years ago. 
so for him to have uh, just gotten all of them right, first of all, uh, and I'm not, uh, I, I think that uh, some of them might not be, uh, there seems to be a certain amount of accuracy. It's not necessarily 100%, but he seems to be fairly accurate about a lot of them. And the other, the other ones, I guess we just haven't understood uh, you know how accurate or how how they're accurate or, or uh, whether they're correct or not or why why they're relevant, but but it um, it's interesting because 400 years ago he predicted all of them and what's most interesting especially today is that uh, like you say the last pope on his list was Benedict the 16th that was the last one indeed indeed and then After, we have. Uh, the comments of yeah, Pope, Pope Benedict XVI saying the church is on the verge of collapse. That's right. And then after that, apparently uh, there would be a, a final pope, or an, the only other pope on his list after Benedict XVI is Peter the Roman, who would lead his flock through uh, great tribulations. So we, we seem to be living that today. Do you think it's possible uh, that, that, well, of course it's possible, but how likely do you think it is that the current Pope will be the final Pope? Uh, well, that depends on what you mean by current Pope, uh, because there's a difference of opinion on who the valid Pope is today, uh, whether it's Benedict XVI or, uh, you know, um, again, I, I'm careful because I know that uh, uh, that Catholics are having a struggle with this. Uh, there's a lot of confusion around what's going on in Rome. And, um, you know, uh, so from that standpoint, uh, you know, something obviously is wrong in Rome. Uh, but if, uh, if, uh, if you look at Father Malachi's uh, prophecies, uh, whether this is uh, going to be the end of the papacy uh, that we're seeing today, uh, it does seem like everything's lining up. We we do appear to be seeing the fulfillment of uh, prophecy, and and if that's the case, uh, things are going to continue to get worse. And I think people have no idea how bad it's going to get. Is it true that one of the popes, uh, upon reading the third secret, wept? Uh, I haven't heard that. I do, I do remember with John the Twenty Third, there were claims that he turned ghost white when he read it for the first time. Uh, I don't remember of any popes weeping. It's possible. The the chief exorcist for the Vatican uh, is is uh, featured in the documentary. Tell me about him. So the chief uh, Vatican exorcist is Father uh, Gabriel Amorth. And uh, he was an exorcist there at the Vatican for many years. Uh, he claimed to have conducted, I think, thousands of exorcisms. And uh, in fact, uh, when I was uh, there in Rome, um, trying to get an interview with him, uh, the, one of the original dates that I had uh, scheduled to do it uh, didn't work out because he was at the time in the middle of an exorcism. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to interview him was because uh, he had some testimony to provide regarding the consecration of Russia, which is really center to all of this. Uh, if the consecration of Russia is done, we see a time of peace. If it's not done, we see a time of global devastations. Uh, the Vatican is claiming that the consecration of Russia was done by Pope John Paul the twenty, uh, sorry, Pope John Paul II, uh, on March 25th, 1984. And 
the person who organized the square for that ceremony that day was the chief Vatican exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth. And so that's why we decided to uh, interview him, because we wanted to find out from him uh, whether he felt that the consecration had been done. Because the Vatican says it's been done, but if you look at the evidence, you can read the formula of consecration that was used, and not one time in that entire prayer was the name Russia ever mentioned. So, first of all, that's right off the bat, that's very peculiar. How can you consecrate a nation when you don't name it? Uh, but then we also have the testimony of uh, Father Amorth uh, speaking about people around the Pope. It appears that John Paul II was aware that he was supposed to name Russia. He knew it. And uh, in, in Father Amorth's testimony, he says that at the time where John Paul II was about to consecrate the world, he paused and he asked, can I name Russia? And Father Amorth says that there were people around him that were saying, no, 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 you can't name Russia. So he was prevented from doing so. And, and that's the testimony of uh, Father Amorth. Any idea as to why they would want to prevent the Pope from doing that, if in fact this is the key to staving off some apocalyptic event, uh, the consecration of Mother Russia, why would they want to prevent that? Yeah, and that's the mystery in all of this. I think that's the question that everybody, and uh, you know, I, I, when I made this documentary, I made it as an investigative documentary, because it's raising some valid questions regardless of your faith, you should, you should have an appreciation for the questions. And uh, that is the mystery. Why? Why is there a resistance? This is such a simple prayer. It'll take five minutes. And you know, if it doesn't work, if you're not a person of faith and you don't believe it'll work, well, it's not going to harm you. Um, but if this can potentially bring about a time of peace in the world, it really doesn't make sense that they would not do it. Why would they skirt around the issue? Why would they organize this, this event? They would invite all of the bishops to take part in it, uh, and they would create a, a, a prayer formula that doesn't include Russia, but yet they're not willing to do the same thing, a five-minute prayer that names Russia. And, and that really is the mystery. I think everybody should ask themselves that question. Why are they not doing this? What's the, what's the, what's the resistance about What's the, what's the agenda here? Indeed. You mentioned the chief exorcist, uh, Father uh, Amorth, is it? Amorth, uh, yeah. Amorth. Amorth, thank you. Not sure if it was uh, him or the, the new chief exorcist, because Father Amorth has since passed away, I believe. But one of them is on record as saying that the devil is loose in the Vatican. What do you make of that comment? Yeah, I, I go back to a statement made by Pope Paul VI in uh, 1972. Uh, it, it was uh, on June 29, 1972, uh, that uh, Pope Paul VI, during a homily given at a Mass uh, for the Solemnity of St. Peter and Paul, he said, in, and he said this in Italian, but he said, from some fissure, the smoke of Satan has entered the temple of God. And you can find uh, this document on the Vatican website. This is uh, his homily. Uh, so this isn't something that's being made up. It almost seems 
too extreme to be believable. But this was the Pope saying this. And uh, what I make of that is it tells me that, that you know, these warnings that uh, Sister Lucia of Fatima had been talking about and, uh, you know, the allowance of uh, this evil regime of communism to take part in a council in the 1960s, we started to see the fruition of all of this uh, according to prophecy. And later on in 1972, now you have a pope who's admitting that something's not right. And, uh, I mean, this is a serious statement. It just gives us a, a very clear idea as to how, uh, how serious this has become. All these questions and more are, um, are investigated in the documentary, The Vatican Deception, A Prophecy of Hope and the Epic Battle to Conceal It. And again, Paul Stark, director, it is slated for worldwide release online. Give us the details. Uh, the uh, the release uh, is going to take place uh, on the official website at uh, www.thevaticandeception.com. Uh, you'll see a button there uh, so that you can pre-order your viewing of the film. Uh, it's uh, going to be hosted by Vimeo. Uh, they have a video-on-demand platform. Uh, you'll be able to watch it either on Vimeo or on the website itself at thevaticandeception.com. And the release date for the film is uh, going to be October 13, this coming October. Paul Stark, thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Richard. All right. Good night. All right. Good night. Okay, before I say goodnight to the moon over Messenia, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. And then I have to get to bed early. I have a three-hour drive tomorrow morning. I'm taking the boys to see one of the natural wonders of the world, the Caves of the Eros. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. Many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, economist Morgan Reynolds, the founder of NoMoreGames.net, will be here to report on the Ron Paul Peace and Prosperity Conference. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>